You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 60. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today, we're discussing the ninth Doctor story, Father's Day. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, how's it going, Dom? Good. Uh, first, I just want to apologize to, to you two and to the listeners. Um, We've fully intended to have episodes the last couple of weeks. Um, we were ready to record. Uh, the first one, um, I had a, actually a, a, an aunt who died, and they scheduled the funeral for the day that we record, so I just couldn't make it. And then last week, <laughs> the power company turned off my power, which would right have been- Right before the show. Right before the show. And mm-hmm. it would have been okay. The power was actually back before we were supposed to record, but they, uh, when the power came back up again, my Mac wouldn't start. And I went, I spent, I took me most of the day to figure it out. Uh, and I, I know Max. I've been at this, you know, working Max for 30 plus years, um, but I couldn't figure it out. And then a great friend of SQPN, uh, Pat Fuckett, um is, uh, and she's, uh, she's uh, from Houston. She's a great SP, SQPN listener and an expert in uh, Max. Uh, and she pointed me to this uh, reset. It's a power reset. So when the power came back on, it must have sent a little uh, surge through the surge protector, just enough to mess up the uh, power management chip in the iMac. And so resetting that, and I came, I got back right away. But, of course, that was the end of the day by that point. So that's that. Uh, this is not a, a Mac uh, tip show, though, so... <laughs> so we'll move on from there, but uh, we're we're back and we're talking about the again as as we as we know we're rewatching the uh, first season of the Doctor Who reboot. This was the season that came out in two thousand five. Christopher Eccleston is the ninth Doctor, and this episode is Father's Day. Uh, now this originally broadcast on uh, May fourteenth two thousand five, which was the eighth episode of that season. Uh, Shall we start with the with the sound of the trailer? Sure. Do it. Peter Allen Tyler, my dad. You want to see him? Your wish is my command. But be careful what you wish for. Day my father died. Thought it'd be your grim and stormy. It's just an ordinary day. Oh god, this is it. There's a man alive in the world who wasn't alive before. The whole world's different because he's alive. Time's been damaged and they've come to sterilize the wound. Get in the church! <laughs> yes, and uh, so we, as you heard, we have Rose, we have uh, we're going to have Jackie in this episode, and Rose's dad's, uh, his first appearance, Pete Tyler. Uh, yeah, you know, we ought to take that last little bit of that sound clip and incorporate it into our opening credits yeah, as yeah. the 
this, you know, official statement from Doctor Who about yes. religion. Get in the church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Uh, we're going to have to rework our opening uh, for when we have the, uh, the the 13th Doctor show up. So maybe we should just do something a little that we, we pull a little something from each of the doctors. Uh, yeah, it works. Th- that would be fun. A fun one. I'll make a note of that one. Um, so the basic plot um, is pretty straightforward. Let me just uh, pull it up uh, up here. Um, uh, you heard it most in that, you know, in the, in that clip, it was, uh, so Pete Tyler, uh, Rose's dad died when she was a baby in 1987. And, uh, Rose asks the doctor to take her to that date. Uh, you know, of, of, that's the next destination. Uh, cause she wants, to, it, it was very strange. She wanted to see her father's death. Well, she wanted she, to be there when he died because part of, part of it was she kept being told by Jackie that no one was there when he died. No which one is su- a kind, kind of morbid thing to tell your child. But, yeah. you know, I guess Jackie would do it. Um, yeah, first they see uh, they see him at an earlier point and then she wants to go farther and see him at his death. Right. OK. So yeah. she can be with him and hold his hand while he dies. Which and and. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's uh, I mean, just from a, from my perspective, knowing that if someone died being hit by a car, that's not like it's not like someone passing away from, you know, a, 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 a cancer <laughs> a or a heart attack or some other disease that yeah. getting hit by a car is bad stuff. And, and I just very can't violent, very brutal, very bloody. Yeah. Not a pleasant thing to want to see. I mean, on well, TV, it it's always be. just, you know, somebody laying on the ground, barely, you know, and maybe maybe no blood at all, as we saw here. But it's just yeah. you going to say, Jimmy. It, it's something that I mean, we are playing by TV rules here. Yeah. And so, you know, I can I can forgive him that it's, you know, it, that the death isn't maybe as realistic. But, you know, sometimes people can get hit and it can be all internal injuries. Um, but Rose, then when she actually when when they come to the moment of it's time for her to go hold her dad's hand, she suddenly on impulse saves him. And this isn't something she's planning on doing, uh, from what we can tell. It's just something that hits her as an impulse. Right. And and I, you know, I, I kind of have the sense that some people don't like this episode. Um, I don't know why. I, I, I There are things about it that I, I, I'm not a big fan of, which we'll talk about. But in, in general terms, I think this episode does... Of, of some things that are really great. Uh, one of them is it raises a question that almost every traveling companion is going to have, wanting to see someone close to them that they can't see anymore. Mm-hmm. Because if by the time you're an adult, you've probably lost someone close to you. And, you know, whether it's grandparents or parents or a friend, by the time you're an adult, you've probably had somebody who you were close to who has passed on and or that you've even just lost contact with that you want to go see. And so that's a very human question. And it makes a lot of sense that Mm -hmm. the show would take it on. Also, um, given that this is a time travel show, there's a constant question of why can't we just repeatedly revisit the past until we get it right? And Mm -hmm. they've over the years in the classic series made some allusions to why um and and 
but they've never really given a clear-cut answer. They've given us little bits of stuff and and not really given us a definitive here's why. One of the um, moments in the classic series where this really got on the table was the death of the companion Adric mm-hmm. because he died in an he in a in in circumstances where it looks like the doctor could have easily gone back and just taken him off of the spaceship that crashed and his companions do not understand why the doctor is so adamant that he just cannot do that it's breaking a law of time and they don't understand why that's a problem. And mm-hmm. this episode starts to show us in a more tangible way what that a reason for that. And it begins to develop the concept of fixed points in time mm-hmm. that later becomes very prominent in the show. So it's kind of a pivotal episode for the show, both in terms of the emotional questions it, it touches on and in terms of the sort of temporal mechanics of the TV series that it starts to touch on. You could say you like or don't like different aspects of the execution, but it's trying Mm -hmm. to do two really big things. And I have in my notes uh, from when I watched it a few weeks ago, um, you know, I thought the first seven minutes were just great. And, um, and I thought they also really resonated with my personal story. People, you know, I've lost multiple people in my lives, including my wife at a very young age. And absolutely. I would want to go back and see those Mm -hmm. people in real life if I had a time machine. Well, I, I think the kind of the issues you brought up, I think the reason why it's not liked isn't so much the issue of, you know, going back and saving her dad and all that. I think it's more the giant bat anti time yeah. antibody churches old so they can't get in thing that we'll I talk about here in that. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. The CGI is not great, but you know, I can for, if I can forgive a lot of the monsters from the classic series based on the makeup tech they had at the time, I can forgive 2005 CGI. Well, I think it's more the concept of the, these beings that if there's a time paradox like that, that they come and sterilize it. Yeah, I you don't. Know. Yeah, it, it it seems to come out of nowhere. Like where, like why, where are these creatures come from? What, what's, you know, what, what is the, the evolutionary function? Did someone create these creatures? It's sort of like just come out, literally come out of nowhere to, you know, it's a, it's a very deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. They exist because the plot it requires them to exist. Mm-hmm. Well, sort but of creatures. They, they have, I, I think, I actually think they're fascinating. I would love to see the series uh, revisit them. Um, that so the doctor gives us an explanation for why we've never seen them before. He says previously the Time Lords were around and could fix uh, moments like this before these creatures showed up, apparently, or undo them after they've showed up or something. But now that the Time Lords are not around because he thinks they're all dead as a result of the Time War, which is time locked. Um, now the, now that's why we're seeing these creatures for the first time. Yeah. And, and I think they're fascinating because if you think about them evolutionarily, there must be a whole ecosystem of time with creatures like this that are living to exploit certain phenomena that occur in time, like when a paradox occurs, that ecosystem would just be fascinating to explore. I mean, (laughs) imagine being creatures in the vortex and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, the Weeping Angels would be another example of that. And so I I think that would just be a neat ecosystem to explore. 
Well, let me say that I, I was I was someone who did not like this episode uh, when I first saw it um, for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Uh, but rewatching it, it's not as bad as I remember. I really liked yeah. the Rose and Pete stuff uh, that mm -hmm. the, the that relationship and the connection between them. Um, I was, I, as I said, I wasn't enthusiastic about the about the creatures and I felt like Jackie was just a jerk. <laughs> Like I did not yeah. like Jackie in this at all. The entire really? time, I found her very annoying, uh, and I don't I, know why. I mean, just I, it felt like she had been sort of shrill in previous episodes, but it was it was mitigated somewhat. But in this, I felt like they they just turned the dial up to eleven on her uh, for some reason to kind of make her a counterpoint to Pete, and and sort of I felt like they were trying to um, up the emotion, like see how nasty she's being to him now. She's going to regret that later, you know, and I, I felt I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I felt mm -hmm. I felt bad about that in a way. I I had a different take. I thought we got elements of sympathy for Jackie. In fact, that's my very first note huh. that for the first time we start to see Jackie as a more sympathetic figure. And partly it, it may be because of, you know, the, the loss scenes that we have where yeah. she's having flashbacks and where Rose is having flashbacks to how devastating this was to Jackie. And that started to humanize Jackie. Also, there was an interesting emotional dynamic where Rose sort of becomes Jackie in this episode because she's now that she's confronted with Pete, who is despite the idealized little girl memories that Rose had of him is, an, is an ordinary bloke. And, and he's, he's a little bit of a cat actually, and know. a bit of a lad. Yeah. And he's, he's not a perfect figure. And Rose is trying to view him that way and trying to get him to be that way. And in fact, you know, in, in later in the episode, uh, after, after, he realizes that she's his daughter. And by the way, dad figures out this time travel really fast. Mm -hmm. And he, I mean, I have a note that he's just, he's very, very smart. He may not be the world's greatest guy, but he's very, very Brilliant. smart based yeah, right. on the way he figures out who Rose is. And then she tries lying to him about how great of a dad he was. And what she's trying to do is give him a blueprint for what he needs to do in the rest mm -hmm. of his life. And he begin he sees through it and he realizes, and we tell just by his facial expression, he's not buying this. He's recognizing this is not the way his life would unfold, that this is some mm -hmm. ideal dad that's not him. And I, I, I just really like that dynamic with Rose and Pete and Rose kind of becoming the Jackie figure uh, in order to in order to try to get him to be a better person, right. which, of course, is what Jackie was always trying to do, always nagging him mm -hmm. um, to be better. You know, one of the things I kind of want to go go back just a little bit to the yeah. to the beginning and the premise of the show. And I just I wonder why the why the doctor would ever think this was a good idea in the sense of um you know letting her see him die but then going back again like it's so dangerous he tells us it's so dangerous and then we see it to overlap with yourself mm -hmm. and yet he does it and i'm and i'm thinking what you know, what is the doctor's motivation here and and one of the things we could think about is where is the doctor in his own personal timeline? I mean, he has well, been mm -hmm. cut off from Gallifrey. He is cut it's, off from his people. He's alone. 
Um, it, it almost like he wants, he, it's what he wishes he could do. Yeah. And so he's going to give this fulfillment of this wish to Rose. You know, he wants to be able to go back and save his family, his friends, people from Gallifrey that he knew. He understands Rose's desperation to, exactly. to right. get to see her dad when it fails the first time. And then his anger at her when he feels like she was just tricking him all along. I, I, I almost felt like that, that was his it was self-recrimination. It's like I indulged my my uh, against my better judgment. I indulged myself uh, through Rose. And now I'm mad at her because yep. I'm mad at me. You know, at, at the stupid I, ape. I picked another stupid ape. <laughs> it's not It's not about showing you the universe. It's about doing something for you. And I mean, really, mm-hmm. he's talking to himself in some ways as we as we come to know the doctor in, in, you know, over this season. You know, he he's really he knows. You know, that he could wallow in his self-indulgence, uh, but the universe needs him. You know, to to not, um, and I feel I felt like he was talking to himself as much as he was talking to her in that case. Um, it, you know, then she turns it around on him and you know tells him that uh, he's jealous of her uh, uh, affections for uh, her dad, and so he's going to teach her a lesson by stranding her in the past, which, which is a very strange thing that he was uh, that he would do that. Uh, you know, th- to strand her in the past like that. Yeah, you have to think he's he can't be serious about that because if if you've just uh caused a time paradox by um by taking someone into the past, the last thing you want to do is leave them there. Right. They'll just cause more paradoxes. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um so a couple other uh, things I noticed uh, going through this, um, the groom's father. So they're at this wedding. That's the, this wedding that was at the heart of this uh, incident. Um, and then the groom's father is standing there with the groom trying to trying to encourage his son to live in sin for a bit until he's sure. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is talk about bad dads. <laughs> like, yeah. like what a contrast to Pete. And I, maybe that was an intentional, uh, uh, you know, chat. Uh, contrast by the by uh, mm-hmm. the writers but gosh this guy was what a jerk that guy was and then then <laughs> the air gets cold and i'm like that's not the reapers that's the holy spirit sending you a message yeah exactly <laughs> so uh I, th- I thought that was notable um you know one thing that i was curious about and get your take on you know when things start to go wrong and the reapers are are doing their thing um we've got the time paradox the TARDIS turns into a, a regular police box. What was that about? A- apart from the necessity to kind of strand the doctor there. Mm-hmm. Um, the what was, was that about? That, well, the idea was that because of the time paradox and uh, the damage that was done to time, somehow the dimensional connection between the interior and the exterior were severed. That was the... Yeah. The concept that they're doing, like you said, it was it was it was a plot point to strand the, the doctor. <laughs> okay. it, it's a plot point, but it's also it also it's a nicely used one in that um, the it makes sense in the context. It's not the first time this has happened. The interior of the TARDIS has turned into a police box before, and it's it's effective in that we've got these weird paradoxical things happening and this is a nice manifestation of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't we see that in I, the uh, fourth Doctor's regeneration story, where the the Master's TARDIS was inside 
the Doctor's TARDIS and caused a, a loop of some sort. Remember that? Well, that that yeah. one was that one was a loop. That wasn't. But that was that was different. It was different, but it was similar. Okay, I thought yeah. at one point in that episode, uh, someone went into the box and it was an actual police box. Maybe I'm misremembering that. Um, okay. Well, they materialized it around a police box. Oh, right, 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 right. That's what it was. Okay. And then the master yeah. landed on the police box in the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. So it got a little meta there. Yeah. Uh, that turned my head around. Uh, did you notice yeah, the that? Pre- the the previous time, I've just looked it up, the previous time that the interior became a police box was actually in a big finish. It was in an episode called The Eternal Summer. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um. I was going to ask if you noticed that the, when the episode Rick rolled us all, did you notice that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, the thing is, I mean, was this was Rick rolling a thing at this point? 2005. Or- <laughs> yeah, it was too early for that. I think Rick rolling really kind of took off. It had to have been, you know, I mean, this is pre Facebook. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to remember where things stand in relation to each other. But Rick rolling really took off, I think, on Reddit uh, yeah. a few years on- after this at, at best. Oh, yeah. okay. So I just checked that. It says it it started on 4chan around May of 2007. Seven. So yeah, Rick, Rick Rowling was not a thing at the <laughs> time actually, this episode was done. And it, it was fitting because that song was a hit at the time. Yeah, it was in 1987. 1987 is yeah. when it came out. So. Right. Yeah, they did their homework on that one. Um, it was just uh, just really funny because uh, now yeah, every for, time you hear this for, song, you, you're thinking you're Rick Rolled. So yeah, could you explain it for? For those yeah, who don't for know. people who who may not be aware, um, Rick Rolling is an internet meme. It's a joke where you try to get people to click on a link, thinking they're going to go to one type of content, and instead of giving them that kind of content, the link delivers them to a video of "Never Going to Give You Up" by Rick Astley, which is a kind of old pop song yep. um, from 1987. That, <laughs> yeah, it's very 80s, and and so if you then click on the link and get hit with that video, you have been Rickrolled. Yep. It, it's really random. Some Whoever first started it, uh, who knows why they chose that video over others. But yeah, it's really funny. My wife and I were at Ikea a few weeks ago, and as we're walking along, I suddenly hear it on the, on the overheads. I'm like, honey, we're, we're being Rickrolled by Ikea. Like, what is yes. that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just can't listen to the song anymore. Now it's now that's in your head. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was just a funny little uh, side bit. Um, and now we've now we've given everyone an earworm too, but yes, never going to give you up. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, so then, so we talked a little bit about the Reapers. Um, time's been damaged, and so they take advantage of that by consuming everything, all the mm-hmm. people. Um, it, you know, it's they're, funny. They're, tr- they're trying to they're tr- trying in their own way, I guess, to fix the uh, yeah. To fix the the time paradox by consuming the things that could be causing it, right. but they're not intelligent, so they're just animalistically trying to eat everything here. You know, it, it remind me of um, there was a Stephen King short story that became a movie, oh, yeah. The Langoliers. The Langoliers, right? And the com- concept was you couldn't go back in time because there were these creatures, these Langoliers, that would eat the time, the the past time. So you'd go to the past, and there would be nothing there. Like you know, you'd, you'd open up a pop, and it would be stale. A soda for those from the the strange part of the words where you call oh, it. Oh yes, that. you mean a coke. Um, you mean a coke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, it would be flat. You know, uh, jet fuel wouldn't work until. But something from the future, or from present time, quote unquote, 
could go back and that there would still be a pocket of present time. Anyways, the, but the concept was the past no longer exists. It gets eaten by these creatures. Right. You know, so there's these creatures that go through and literally eat up time. Mm-hmm. And they had to you know, escape the past. Uh, get right. back to the present. Get, get yeah. back to the present. Right. And that's sort of the that same idea of this ecosystem of creatures who live off of time, uh, which is a fascinating idea. And it apparently has come up several times in uh, in fiction. One one thing, and this is uh, this will be a little gross for some folks, but, um, you know, the doctor compares what the Reapers and by the way, they're never named that on screen. They're just these mm-hmm. flying things. Yeah. But in the secondary literature, they're called Reapers. Um, the it's kind of like it's kind of like Tatooine in Star Wars. It's never called that on, in the first movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, the um, when the Reapers show up, the doctor compares it to sterilizing a wound. And actually, mm-hmm. that's similar to a real medical procedure because um, maggots actually are used that way in modern medicine. If you have mm. surgically clean maggots, they get used to eat out the decayed tissue in a wound and sterilize it. And actually, they can be more effective than like using alcohol, which can just kill more tissue. I apologize if you're eating your lunch while listening to this episode, (laughs) (laughs) but that's exactly what happens. No, that's, that's, that's a good explanation. Um, So one of the things about the Reapers I thought was an interesting symbolism as they're trying to break into this church where the wedding was going on. uh, This one Reaper is, you can sort of see its, its uh, shadow, its outline through the stained glass window of the crucifixion. And it's that the crucifixion yeah. is sort of holding it back. And I thought that was kind of an interesting symbolism, maybe unintended exactly. by the by the creators of the show. That was just happened to be the big window in the church they were using. Yep. But I thought it was kind of a, you know, that the that the, you know, the love of Christ holds back, uh, you know, certain death, that Evil. sort of idea. Yep. I just thought it was kind of an interesting symbolism mm-hmm. for me. And the Reapers are kind of demonic looking. Yes, they're kind of cross yes, between pterodactyls and dementors and something else. Bats. Ba- yeah, yep. they're sort of bat-like. Um, I, in, in the episode, I always thought they looked kind of like funny pterodactyls. But when you look at still images of them, it seems more like they're based on bats. Yeah, yeah. they have a weird construction of like they're they, they have they don't really have legs and things. It was it was kind of odd. Yeah, it was an odd construction. Um so the doctor, the doctor has has some, as we said, some nice moments and some nice elements having to do with relationships um, with, like, again, with fathers, because, you know, uh, uh, this is an episode about Rose and her father. Uh, he says, you know, one point in speaking about the, the couple who get getting married, he says two people meeting and falling in love is greater than the all the amazing things he's done. I, I thought that was kind of a nice moment that they were giving the doctor there. This mm-hmm. this recognition that ordinary people are important in their ordinary lives. And it's, you know, he runs around the universe with his companions uh, doing these amazing things, showing them amazing, you know, places and times. But what's really important is is all the billions and billions of people living their daily life in an ordinary way. Uh, I kind of mm-hmm. liked that, the, the, the conveying that. I think that was sort of a Russell T. Davies specialty uh, from his oh. era. Well, and it's something they, they kind of brought back several times of where the doctor says, you know, something to the extent of I've traveled in time all these years and I've never met anyone unimportant. Right. Yeah, that's from A Christmas Carol. Yes, yep. exactly. 
Um, one of the one of the things I liked about this episode connected with the doctor's character is the fact that he doesn't he's out of his depth here. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not know how to deal with this situation. And that I really like because the doctor is usually the most competent person in the room. And especially in later seasons, he's he comes off as really large and super in charge. And and that can suck the drama out of yep. situations. I much more like, say, like the fifth doctor, Peter Davison's much more vulnerable side where he's he often does not know exactly yep. what to do. And he, we get that in this episode with the ninth doctor because he's he is just out of his depth as events are unfolding. And I really like seeing the doctor in that situation. In fact, the doctor doesn't actually come up with a solution in the sense of he gets he gets eaten by a reaper. Uh, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> that, that was kind of an odd situation because I'm wondering, like, where did he come from after after, you know, the uh, the end result with as, you know, spoilers, uh, Pete eventually dies. But like, where did the, where did the doctor come from? It was I mean, I guess just when you, you when time got put back the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. Everything got returned to where it should be. Um, so ish. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> so. Um, so that was that was so the doctor himself was wasn't there to to to, to do the fix. It's Pete. Mm-hmm. Pete. And Pete becomes that hero that Rose always thought him to be because he right. figures out he was supposed to die and, and goes and gives his life to save everyone, especially his daughter. You know, so that he gets right. that chance to be the dad that he never got a chance to be. And and we've got that creepy as part of all the weirdness happening as a result of the time paradox. We've got that creepy car, you know, just materializing, <laughs> driving around the block and vanishing and then doing it over and over and over again. <laughs> so it's like, Pete, the solution's right in front of you. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Ex- yes. Yes. Um, uh, we should probably mention that the whole uh, bit with the TARDIS and the TARDIS key. Um, the, yes. the doctor sort of recharges the TARDIS key using one of those giant mobile phones from the late eighties. The those giant bricks <laughs> of a keeps, phone keeps playing I, the, the famous, you know, Watson, come here. I need you. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I find, I found that one of the less believable moments that a modern mobile phone could, could charge up a TARDIS key. Yeah. And, and cause the TARDIS to material rematerialize around the key, which was interesting. Yeah. It was yeah. very strange. Now we do need to mention one person who showed up. Mickey. 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 Yeah. Oh, right. I was going to mention him. It's <laughs> so great to see Mickey as a little kid. So he's apparently a few years older than Rose, which I had not realized previously. Yep. And yeah. it's just really cool to get to see him. And so Rose gets to babysit Mickey temporarily in this episode. And <laughs> yep. uh, he apparently imprints on her. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and that they've known each other their whole lives. Uh, that's sort of, you yep. know, that you realize that's one of the reasons they're t- probably together. I have to say that uh, young Rose, uh, both baby and little girl, they're they're adorable. They were very cute. So what uh, I had a couple of notes about now that we mentioned the baby about yep. um, the the uh, some of the time travel stuff in this episode. So yeah. the doctor says previously the Time Lords would have fixed things like this. And apparently part of what he's referring to is the CIA or on Gallifrey, the Celestial Intervention Agency. <laughs> yep. This is a this is an agency that is kind of a covert ops 
agency that fixes things in time. And the doctor has periodically encountered them and even served as one of their agents um, yep. periodically. Uh, so that's part of the backstory to that. We've seen the Celestial Intervention Agency multiple times in the history of the show. Um, also, when the doctor says, don't touch the baby, he's referring yep. to something known as the Blinovich limitation effect. This is something they first introduced in the third doctor's time as one of the early explanations for why you can't just go back and keep changing time until you get it right. Uh, I think it was Joe Grant was asking the doctor about that, and he said, oh, well, it's because of the Blinovich limitation effect. And then he didn't get to explain what it was. And so later on in the fifth doctor's time, we got to see some of what happens if you violate the Blinovich limitation effect, um, where there was an episode called Maudwin Undead, in which we had two versions of the Brigadier from different periods in the Brigadier's life. And if they touched each other, there would be a dramatic special effect flash of light and a lot of energy would be released. And it could, <clears throat> it could among other things, wipe their memories and cause havoc of various sorts. And so apparently this is why crossing your own time stream can be a bad thing, but it's not always consistent. And they've played mm -hmm. with that subsequently on the show. Um, like in A Christmas Carol, which we mentioned earlier, we have the doctor looping his time stream and like touching sonic screwdrivers together. And there's like little bitty sparkles or flashes, but no huge thing. And that's apparently what the doctor's concerned about here is if Rose touches the baby, if she touches you know, herself as a young child, she's crossing her own time stream, and that could have catastrophic results, especially in the middle of a time paradox. But it ends up being okay. She's able to hold herself without, uh, as a baby without problems. Well, doesn't when she touches the baby that it causes the... Uh... Yeah, the Reaper to yeah, get it actually in. Did, oh. It did cause an effect. That's what caused the Reaper to come in to destroy the the regenerating okay. TARDIS. Right, right, right. Sorry, that's like I said. It's been a few weeks. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so you know, we have this very um, this very touching moment where we we see that Rose did manage to change history a little. Uh, so, you know, at the end, we have a sort of a repeat of that scene from the beginning where Jackie's telling young Rose uh, this about her dad. And now we sort of see the scene again, but the story's not different. You know, Jackie says, oh, the driver, a young man, stopped and waited for the police. And it wasn't his fault. For some reason, Pete just ran out in front of the car. And there was a girl who stayed with Pete when he died and, and then left. And nobody ever learned who she was. It was, of course, Rose. Yeah. Um, it, so... So in a sense, she, you know, she did change history for the better. It wasn't just a senseless hit and run. And that's in that sense, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's it, it, it was it, a senseless cosmic hit and run. Right. Well, in yeah. one way, yeah. the, the person who benefited the most from this whole episode was the nameless driver of this car who doesn't have to live with, you know, having Yo. done a hit and run. I mean, they still have to live mm -hmm. with having hit somebody, but it wasn't their fault. Right. Uh, so I just thought that was. An interesting little uh, anecdote. Is there anything else to say about this episode? Uh, anything other points you, we've missed that you want to bring up? 
Jackie doesn't really look young enough to be Jackie in the past. <laughs> she's no. not. Yeah, she's not twenty. <laughs> they didn't do anything. They didn't yeah. do anything to kind of reverse the years with her. That's for sure. <laughs> well, well, I, I mean, think they tried, but yeah. it's not enough. Well, what, what, you could turn around and say, well, in two thousand five, <clears throat> Jackie looks remarkably like she did when she was much younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so that's. I guess yeah. That's about the only the the the, the long and short of it. And of course. After all this, after Pete's sacrifice, um, Pete's not done. Uh, they bring him back uh, with on uh, the tenth Doctor's time, and uh, and Rose does get to 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 stay with him and Jackie as a family. So it's an interesting um, interesting that they bring him back. And I don't know whether that was because they particularly liked the actor or the character. Um, but uh, I, I think they did justice to him bringing him back and later on, in which um, undoubtedly we'll get to as we continue our rewatch. Spoilers. Spoilers. Yep. Great. So uh, I guess I, I think that's all we have to say about it. Um, yeah. That's that's it from us. So what did you think of the ninth Doctor story, the, the Father's Day? Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Uh, leave us some feedback or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. You can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. And we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the two-part ninth Doctor story, uh, the famous Empty Child and the Doctor Dances. Uh, until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining us and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you, Dom. Well, you're welcome. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, an ordinary man is the most important thing in creation. The whole world's different because he's alive. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.